2: The Athletic Ladies and gentlemen It's 1992 And we're going to Sweden for a tournament so modest in scale That its actual motto is Small is beautiful Eh, But why not? There are just four venues in use And only one of them has a capacity of more than 40,000 But there are eight teams, two groups of four, top two qualify, and it's knockout football all the way. So, who are the favorites? Well, the illustrious World Soccer Magazine is in no doubt. Their end of year awards in 1991 are dominated by France. Their team of the year, Michel Platini is manager of the year, and Jean-Pierre Papin is player of the year. And that's only scratching the surface. Eric Cantona, Laurent Blanc, and... Maybe a young Didier Deschamps? The Dutch are back with a point to prove after a disappointing showing in the 1990 World Cup. Legendary boss Renus Michels has returned too. They've still got an incredible squad and there's one new player who might be worth keeping an eye on.
3: Ruud Gullit, Marco van Basten and Dennis Bergkamp.
2: And Germany is now united, which means they've added the best East German players to a West German squad that just won the World Cup in Italy. Matthias Sammer. Thomas Doll, Andreas Ton. England reached the semi-finals of that tournament, but Bobby Robson is gone. The new manager's Graham Taylor, Paul Gascoigne is injured, and the squad has a few new faces. Unfortunately, one of the best teams on the continent won't be joining us. Torn apart by a brutal civil war, Yugoslavia are suspended from the tournament just 11 days before it begins it robs
4: the competition of a galaxy of stars. Red Star won the, the European title. Sasha Ibru is a Bosnian football writer. In 1991, so most of the team was assembled from their squad with uh, Robert Prosinacki, with uh, Dejan Savicevic, uh, Dragon Stojkovic, who was already in, in Olympic Marseille. The team that was assembled out of experienced players like Haji Begic, guys that were already uh, gaining their experience through European Cup, and that was pro- probably the best side in the history of, or that was supposed to be the best side in the history of the country. Could they have won it? The core of that generation played for uh, for Croatia in, in in 1998, and they were third in the world. So, uh, and in 1990, that that side went all the way to the uh, World Cup quarterfinals, and and they were knocked out after penalties. So. I would say, and I talked to most of them in the last couple of years, and I would say that they would probably be one of the contenders to win the title. In their absence,
2: UEFA summoned Denmark, runners-up to Yugoslavia and Group 4 to take their place.
0: The truth is, everybody in Denmark were expecting that it wasn't going to happen, because you know, how often has that happened before?
2: Niels Harlid is a Danish commentator for Eurosport.
0: It, it's not every time there's there's a World Cup or a, a Euro that that a new team is called in, and and everybody was thinking, oh, it's, it's not going to happen. They're going to find some way to keep Yugoslavia, who has beaten us in a fair way in the qualifiers, to be be in the tournament. And the, the truth is the players were on the beach, they were barbecuing, they were with the families and the um, cottages around the country and uh, abroad and everybody was just looking forward to a, you know the normal summer holiday for football players. And they played a game between the old uh, Soviet Union, s they played 1-1 and everybody said happy holidays and off they went. But it wasn't to be, was it? It was it was really strange. So obviously they were sad about what was happening in Yugoslavia. Everybody were. But when the when the truth hits them and they had to prepare for the tournament, everybody was focused on on going to Sweden and do their best.
2: On the tenth of June, the tournament begins with a clash between hosts Sweden and favourites France, but it doesn't go the way you might expect. Sweden opened the scoring through Jan Eriksson, and the French barely get a sniff. But they
5: couldn't find Papin. certainly in the first half. Julien Laurent, French football expert and part of the Totally Football Show. They didn't really create. not really create much either. It was. It was. It was not the greatest performance for the first half. The second half, however, was a bit better. Uh, but uh, yeah, I thought the, the Contenau-Papin partnership that did so well during the qualifiers. Certainly in that first half misfired a little bit and and in a way I think it was, it was deserved that Sweden went ahead.
2: Jean-Pierre Papin eventually equalises in the second half and the points are shared. The following day England and Denmark play out a really grim, goalless draw. Less said about that the better. Group B opens up with a tighter than expected game between the Netherlands and Scotland. Renus Mikkel's side prevailing only thanks to a late goal from young striker Dennis Bergkamp. But if this spirited show of Scottish resistance is a surprise, it's nothing compared to what happens in Norcuping, The Commonwealth of Independent States, which is what we're calling the team from the recently collapsed Soviet Union in 1992 come within moments of beating Germany.
6: Hessler came to the rescue with a a free kick, but it wasn't a convincing performance at all.
2: Raphael Honigstein is The Athletic's German football writer.
6: And for a team that Franz Beckenbauer had described as unbeatable for years to come, because remember this was the fully reunified Germany with lots of players from the former East, it was a bit of a wake-up call.
2: France versus
6: England is supposed
2: to be one of the highlights of the group stage but it's another damp squib. This turgid, goalless draw is enlivened only by Basil Bolly's unwise decision to headbutt Stuart Pearce. A bloodied Pearce so nearly exacts revenge with a thunderous free kick, but he's denied by the crossbar. Elsewhere, Sweden's 1-0 victory over Denmark puts the hosts in the driving seat and surely marks the end of the party for the later rivals. That's certainly what the Danish commentator thought.
0: To to quote him the right way, he said, exit Denmark. So everybody were, <laughs> were expecting that to be the truth. And it was strange because, you know, if we should win one game for us, it was England, France, and Sweden. If we should win one game, it had to be against the, the Swedes. So I remember after that game thinking, okay, what else to do this summer?
2: Back in Group B, Scotland continued to surprise, putting in a really impressive performance against Germany. I mean, they lose the game 2-0 and they're eliminated but they've played better football than their neighbours south of the border and they've made more friends, too. While English supporters continue to get themselves into trouble.
6: Hundreds of Swedish police are on standby in Malmo tonight in case of a repeat of yesterday's violence by England soccer fans.
2: Scotland's followers are welcomed with open arms. But why?
7: Because the Scots had learned that if you misbehave, as they did on several occasions... Stuart Weir,
2: former head of sport
7: for the Glasgow Herald. If you smash the pub up at 12 o'clock, it will not be open for you when the game finishes at six. I see. I think over a number of years, the, the Scotland fans, the, the Tartan army, learned to go and enjoy themselves and just mix... Um, with the the opposition as opposed to fighting with them, it also helped. I have to say that in '74, in Germany, and '82, we were also in the same group or the same section as the Brazilians. And there's some very good Brazilian football players. If you want to play them out in the street, and there's also some very very nice uh, samba babes, as they were they were well known within the Tartan Army, who would also accompany the Brazilian team. And you didn't want to be looking like some kind of hooligan whilst you were chatting them up. Later that evening, a
2: fine performance from Dmitry Karin ensures a goalless draw between the Netherlands and the Commonwealth of Independent States, giving manager Anatoly Byshevits side a surprise chance of qualification. That's Group B. Group A, though, is completely wide open. As the final fixtures begin, any one of the four teams can qualify, and any one of the four teams can be eliminated.
8: Of course, we were a little bit worried. uh. Olaf Lund is a Swedish journalist and the author of The National Team, according to Lund. I mean, England and France were the favourites coming into the tournament and England coming from a strong World Cup in 1990 and still a lot of good players. And it's one of those good players, one David Platt, who opens the scoring early for England. And it suddenly
9: felt really optimistic. Oliver Kay, the athletic senior football writer. And I can remember on TV as they were all singing "Graham Taylor's Blue and White Army, and I think, oh god, it actually sounds really optimistic now. You know, that all the mood going into that match had been very dark and very um, sort of angry, certainly in the media. But yeah, it seemed like things had clicked.
2: Listener, things have not clicked.
8: We were nervous and going down one uh, nothing. early goal from David Platt. Uh, but I In a way, there was always this feeling that we knew that Sweden had showed during the Euro Championship that they were better than we thought. And uh, when they equalised, we felt it was possible to go. Uh, I think they made a substitution at halftime. Jonny Ekstrom coming on and uh, giving England some problems. And we felt that England was uh, there to be taken.
2: At 1-1, with half an hour left, England need a goal. Manager Graham Taylor
9: makes his move. It's not the move that many people expect. People saw Alan Smith warming up and thought, right, he's going to put, put another striker on, go for the win. I think it was probably the usual sort of guessing game of, of who was going to come off. And then suddenly the board goes up and it's number 10 and it's Gary Lineker coming off. And it was one of those things where you just think, that, that can't be right. That can't be right at all. Alan Smith, alas fails to make the difference. Nothing against Alan Smith at all. Alan Smith was a very good striker, but he came on and it seemed like England's chances left the pitch with, with Lineker and then, and then, I don't know how many minutes later it was, but it was, uh, yes, it was Broline, Darlene, Broline, Barry Davis, you know, sounding like he's Dolly Parton singing Jolene.
0: Broline, Darlene, that is glorious, absolutely glorious.
9: And and a beautiful goal by, by Thomas Brolin. It was it was yeah, a spectacular goal. I mean, the brilliant uh,
8: goal uh, from uh, Darlene, Brolin, Darlene, Brolin, and scoring two one. It was ah, it was one of those most magnificent uh, evenings
9: as a Swedish supporter. And that, of course, um, prompted the, the famous, infamous headline of "What was it? Swedes two, turnips one." And and Graham Taylor became. The turnip, uh, in the eyes of uh, one of um, one of the British, British papers, and I mean he he never recovered from that. I don't think either as an England manager or as a manager full stop. I think that that sort of characterisation, cruel characterisation of him and uh, of him being some useless root vegetable, really damaged him for his for, for the rest of his career. And, and it, but it was it was undoubtedly a really low point. For the England national team, I mean, and, and the fact that it had come two years after the high of uh, of the nineteen ninety World Cup was uh, made it all and more made it all more difficult.
8: I've learned uh, over the years that England always are uh, building themselves up to something that they hardly can uh, prove to uh, be worthy of. I they, you always think you're going to win, but uh, you seldom do. Uh, I remember sitting with uh, some English uh, fans uh, in the stands and they were uh, screaming, you'll never beat Des Walker. And after 2-1, I uh, rose up and I shot, we always beat Des Walker. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm glad I'm still alive.
2: So, that Sweden through and England out. But what of France? And surely they'd be okay. All they have to do is beat Denmark. And this isn't the Denmark side of the 80s. There's no Michael Laudrup now.
0: Both the Laudrops were actually gone from the national team. I think also Jan Milby retired because they couldn't agree on on the way Denmark was playing. So after we lost against Yugoslavia, Michael Laudrup left the team and Brian left the team. Brian came back during the qualification but Michael obviously didn't and he wasn't a part of this team. He could have been easily. But they, did, they didn't agree to the tactics, they didn't agree to the way of playing football, which was which was quite defensive actually.
2: In the tunnel before the game,
5: some of the French players asked the Danes to go easy on them as. Well, they've got semi-final to play next week. So I think the French, as we do, you know, we're like, oh, OK, this is going to be easy. This one is ours. And yeah, I think there was a bit of um, of trolling in the tunnel and before the game about like, you know, because we're going to beat you and go through, make sure you at least don't injure our key players, please. And be and be kind to us, and of course, in French typical fashion, he came back to haunt us.
0: Also, I know John Jensen very well. Th- that is like giving him raw meat. If you say that to him, he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna give you hell, and he did. You know that was exactly the way. They were a little bit arrogant coming into the game, I think, and uh, they didn't expect the early goal from Hennie Larsen, And after that goal, I think the team rose to the occasion and everything was, uh, clicked. France. Are in big trouble, and I remember talking to Peter Smeichel about this because I used to work with him for a while, and he said it was like suddenly they could feel the momentum. Suddenly they could feel okay, this could actually work in a way. But you have to remember, this is a this is still is this is France, a huge team at the moment, Jean-Pierre Papang and other great players, and it was like okay, they don't stand a chance. But the East, the early goal gave them everything they needed in terms of of courage in terms of believing in, in, in the project. And, and uh, the 2-1 goal put in by Lars Elstrup, who was substituted straight before, was pure magic. And everybody in Denmark woke up then, you know, that wasn't exit Denmark anymore. Now everybody, everybody was thinking, okay, something could happen
5: here.
2: But nothing was going to happen for France. Not for another six years anyway.
5: I don't know how, how good they could have been, had they had a a real manager, because let's be honest, Michel Platini, as as amazing as a player he was and has a a great communicant and politician he already was when he was a coach, he was never a coach. I mean, there's this very, very famous story in France that we tell at training before this 92 euros, where he was getting frustrated because the players, including Cantonan and Papin and all the others, could not do exactly what he wanted. So at some point he said, okay, give me the ball give me the ball. He took the ball and just did inch perfect exactly the drill that he wanted them to do and he's watched them for half an hour failing to do. And I think if you've got a, a manager who's still probably better than some of your players or certainly who believes he's better than some of his own players then he can only fail. There was no way that this could have worked. I don't think the atmosphere was really good in the camp. I don't think the players really like Platini as a head coach because of that sense and feeling of superiority that he had. So, France and England are out.
2: We know that Sweden and Denmark will be in the semi-finals. But who will they play? That's next.
1: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. It's
2: 1992, and already this is one of the more eyebrow-raising of football tournaments. A team that didn't qualify is through to the Final Four, while France and England say farewell. And so, for a place in the semi-finals, it's a battle between the Commonwealth of Independent States, Germany and the Netherlands. And it's with those two teams where we begin.
3: So the Netherlands versus Germany is always a huge, huge match. And it's always, it's suspenseful, you know, there's a certain uh, pressure as well that comes with the game, I think, for love. Dutch players, definitely.
2: Elko Born is a Dutch football writer.
3: There was beforehand, but during the game, those feelings of of pressure seemed to melt away fairly quickly, and the Dutch just they just did great, and they won, and they scored great goals, and uh, and they beat Germany three to one.
6: The Dutch didn't just beat Germany, Germany, but they completely outclassed uh, this German side. And I remember Bertie Vogt, who was you know, in charge for his first tournament as, a, as the uh, head coach, said afterwards, oh, in life you always meet twice, sort of, you know, wagging a finger at, at the Dutch saying, you know, this, this might just be the beginning of this rivalry in this tournament and, you know, you'll wait for it, we'll come back very strong. But I think it was a bit of a whistling in the dark uh, kind of moment because Germany were just abject and the Dutch were – just in a completely different level and smash Germany all over the park. Germany then have
2: only three points. That means that their qualification for the final four is in the hands of Scotland, already eliminated, who have to beat a redoubtable Commonwealth of Independent States.
7: But fortunately for manager Bertie Vokes. Scotland actually played well in that game. They score I mean they scored three goals. Any any game where Scotland Scores three goals you look at the opposition and wonder was it San Marino was it the Faroe Islands or was it or was it Gibraltar that we were playing and and here was this completely so we have a 100% record against the CIS which we will have forever more um, thanks to the, the this game and and to be honest it was, it was a pretty bewildering start from the Scots um, we were 2 nothing up after about 20 minutes, which is again unheard of unless we're playing one of the, the really diddy c- countries or nations in the world, and even then, they're probably still holding us at 0 0 at, at that point in time. So, Germany are through, and the Netherlands have what really should
2: be the favourable semi final against a team dubbed the Big Mac Gang by the local press. According to Jonathan O'Brien's excellent book, Euro Summits, the Danish player's diet. Has gone out the window.
0: What they discovered during the tournament was that the the biggest resource they had was just to, to stay uh, humorous about it, stay mood uh, in a good mood about it. So they played mini golf and e- ate ice cream on the mini golf course, and they went to McDonald's after a game or after a training session. I actually think they went to uh, to McDonald's, and that was you know it was it was putting the group together and. and making that sort of of sense of this is us against the world or against Europe as it was.
2: But first, in the other semi-final,
8: Germany will face an increasingly upbeat and confident host nation. Well, sort of. I don't think there was that many people in Sweden expecting us to beat Germany, reigning world champions and with two so important players out. So it kind of... um, was the dampener? It is close, though, isn't it? Uh, not at all close. Uh, even though uh, the German three-one uh, came in the eighty-eighth minute, I they had a two-nothing after an hour, and they were kind of outplaying Sweden. Sweden did get anywhere.
6: I think Germany did did reasonably well uh, against a pretty good Sweden team. This was the Sweden team that would end up finishing third in the uh, ninety-four World Cup, if I'm not mistaken. So this was decent opposition. But I think Germany just individually were just slightly better and and Riedler had one of those good games where uh, he's in the box and he just, you know, scores goals by by being in the right spot in the right time. But it's not all bad for Sweden. Lessons have been learned
2: and young stars have gained vital experience. It'll pay dividends two years later when
8: much the same side finished third in the World Cup. It is the foundation of the World Cup 1994, and they, uh, Tommy Svensson, talked about that uh, uh, going into the World Cup in 1994. He, he admitted that they were a little bit satisfied. They were content reaching just the semi final. When they went to the US, they were not content when they had reached the quarter final. They wanted to go all the way, and I think. Uh, The fiasco of 1990 and then the Euro 1992, one step up, was the foundation of uh, the World Cup of 1994. And it's pretty much the same players. Uh, The the spine of the team are the same with Jonas Town, Dalin, Brolin, Patrick Andersson, Jocker Björklund. It's Thomas Ravelli in goal. It's the same players that do it all the way. The following night in Gothenburg, the Dutch take on the Danes
2: for a place in the final.
3: I think there might have been a little bit of complacency uh, among the Dutch. There's an anecdote about the Players Hotel where Ruud Gullit was watching uh, racing, car racing on TV while the goalkeeper Hans van Broeklen wanted to watch uh, the Danish play. It was during a match when Denmark were playing. and just not being uh not being willing to change the channel and watch uh watch the danish players watch the danish team there was almost a sense i think of this danish team just being a bit of, but being a bunch of uh yeah maybe hard workers but not great footballers not europe's best footballers of course
2: denmark stunned the dutch taking an early lead through henrik larsen bergkamp responds but larsen was the temerity to score again?
0: Vilfort, Laudrup, yes, he's hit the target again.
3: Henrik Larsson. It wasn't easy to to even draw against this Danish team, and especially during the second half, it became apparent for the Dutch that just playing great, beautiful, attacking football was not going to be enough. And hard work was required. It had become uh, almost a game of attrition, you know, just just slogging through, just pumping those balls into the opponent's uh, area, trying to score a goal.
2: But then, disaster. Henrik Andersen, one of Denmark's brightest lights, collides with Marco van Basten and falls to the ground. Eyes stretched wide with shock, He stares at his kneecap and starts to scream.
0: I have also tried to erase this, but I remember his screaming. And I remember the horror in the player's eyes when they came up to him, looking at his knee put out of place. It was the worst injury you could imagine from a player who's been crucial to the Danish team, who's really done very, very good. That was... It, it, was, it was terrible. And it was, again, you think, how could, they, how could they overcome this? But maybe it was part of their putting themselves together for this, this final, maybe playing it for him also and sort of as a team get together. But it was the most horrific injury I, I've, I, I've ever seen, actually.
2: Anderson will not play football again for nearly a year. His teammates, visibly upset by the injury, must press on without him. But they cannot keep the Dutch at bay. Rijkaard equalises in the 87th minute and it's extra time served up with near universal predictions that the Big Mac gang's lack of physical preparation will cost them dearly.
0: But I also remember that the last half hour of the game was like surviving up to the penalties. Let's get to the penalties. Let's see what can happen. We know we have a really good keeper in Peter Schmeichel. We know maybe there's a bit of arrogance from the Dutch also.
2: Schmeichel is inspired Denmark take it to penalties. Nine men score from the spot. Only one man misses, and it is the last person you would expect.
0: Marco from Boston. When they missed their penalty, it suddenly became clear that uh, all you needed was the final goal from Kim Christophe, who decided to waltz to the ball and put it in the net. That was uh, uh, euphoria. He
5: looks at the referee again. It's a short approach to the ball, and he's done it! sensation
0: in the semi-final in gothenburg you can imagine everybody uh, uh, that was a little bit of a little nation we what we have to say is that we have just been through an a EU uh, referendum, you know that in England, I know, we, we, where Den- Denmark has worded no, and suddenly Denmark was competing on political levels, and now we're competing in football. And, and suddenly we are in the, in the Euro final, that was it was magic and nobody believed their eyes, nobody.
2: And so to the final in Gothenburg. It's the World Champions West Germany, plus the best players from East Germany, combined as one Germany in tournament football for the first time since 1938. Against a Denmark side who didn't even qualify for the tournament, failed to score in the first two games and have just played 120 minutes against the holders. Oh, and Germany have had one extra day for recovery. So it should be straightforward,
0: right? It was a squad that was limping to the final. Everybody was broken. Remember they didn't really have any practice before the tournament and they didn't have training and And suddenly they are they are playing every three or four days and 120 minutes against the Dutch. To be in the final <laughs> was surreal.
6: So there was a huge sense of oh Germany you know uh, they're not good but they're in the final and they're playing against the Danes so of course they'll win it. I mean. I remember just being strong, strong confidence. I I wouldn't say foregone conclusion, but nobody expected, I think, the, the Danes to win this game.
2: The first goal of the game comes from an unexpected source.
6: John Jensen, who was of course famous for never scoring any goals, just hits it really cleanly and crisply uh, past Ilgne and goal, and here we are with the underdogs being one 0 up.
0: I know John personally. He's been I've been working with him for years also, and he's a great guy. He's he's a fighter. He's most of all he's a fighter who was he was very very important for that Brøndby team that reached the final in the in the Europe against no, the semi final against Europe uh, against Roma in Europe a couple of years before. And he was instrumental to that team. He was um, he was not a big technical player. He didn't, you know, as Arsenal's, Arsenal supporters will know, he didn't hit the goal. I think he only did one goal for Arsenal. And now he's done one for Denmark.
2: And what a hit.
0: He's on the edge of the box, isn't he? And it comes down to him and he, and he just hits it. And I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but after the game he said, in, in Danish he said, I hit it. Lee Ryon, which in, uh, in English means headed hit it right in the bottom of, of, of the ball. <laughs> and he did, and he flew over there, and it was really, it was really, it was a beautiful goal in many ways because it was so unexpected. But he saw his chance and he took it.
2: Germany work hard to recover, but they cannot find a way through. And with 12 minutes to go, the ball falls to Kim Vilfort, who's been traveling back and forth between Sweden and his home throughout the tournament to be with his terminally ill daughter.
0: His, his daughter is terminally ill from cancer and uh, lying in the hospital, and he has to leave the tournament temporarily to go and be beside her, obviously, because it was very, it was uh, unfortunately very, very bad, and, and and unfortunately she died after the tournament also. But he he was determined to play this final for her also, so um, that he should score the Goal for 2-0 is like H. C. Anderson couldn't have written it better. You know, this is this is adventure of in highest caliber
4: there.
6: The Germans are broken. Their fans begin to stream out of the stadium. I do remember just feeling totally dejected and couldn't quite believe what was happening. I mean, to lose to Denmark was just I think it was hugely embarrassing you know now you look back and think oh you know wonderful story and it was great that they won it but just from purely German perspective this was a pretty pretty decent side you know the, the the spine of the 1990 winning team so really I mean this should have this should have not been even close but Germany messed it up
0: It was, it was magic. I remember this sunny, beautiful midsummer night in Denmark, Copenhagen. Everybody was, everybody were going mental. And it was I, like I told in the beginning, we went to the city center after the final. Didn't watch the game at all because nobody could see the screen because the sun was against it. And you know how it is. Got into the city center. Everybody was just partying all night. It was spectacular. The day after I had to go to work, I called in sick. Went to the town hall square to greet this bunch of players standing. You know they had been drinking all night, so they were <laughs> they were also on their own trip. <laughs> and it was it was the most magical 24 hours in my life, I think. To tell the truth, it, this was out of order. It, this was we are Nordic. We're not really celebrating in the streets, but this was like the this was like going to, to Argentina or something.
2: Denmark have beaten the world champions, the European champions, and the pre-tournament favourites without their best player Michael Laudrup or any sort of preparation. Everyone thought that Denmark would be the first team to go home. Well, they were wrong. This, everyone now agreed, was a sort of seismic shock that could never again be repeated at a major tournament. And they were wrong about that too. But to find out why, you have to wait for the 2004 episode. And that was the 1992 European Championships. Join us next time in England as football comes home. But in what sort of state? Your experts were Elko Born for the Netherlands, Niels Harlid for Denmark, Raphael Honigstein for Germany, Sasser Elbruge for Yugoslavia, Oliver Kaye for England, Julien Laurent for France, Olof Lund for Sweden and Stuart Weir for Scotland. Euro Stories, the history of the European Championships, was an Athletic media production. You can subscribe to The Athletic and listen to the rest of the series ad-free by going to theathletic.com forward slash history. Euro Stories, the history of the European Championships, was written and presented by me, Ian McIntosh, and produced by Abby Patterson.
1: The Athletic.